hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. Uh, we want to be sure that you can follow along in the introduction of the sermon. Uh, we also want to make sure that you're able to take notes throughout the preaching. And to me, above all of that, what is extremely important is that you utilize this as a tool to help someone else grow in their faith. We are disciples of Jesus, and as disciples of Jesus, we are not, we not, we are not um, advised, but we are commanded to go and make disciples. We're commanded to go and share this faith with others and help others grow. And so one way that you can do that is by utilizing the tool of the outline so that way you can take notes, you can remember what you heard, and then you can help someone else grow in their faith. And if you are not helping someone else grow in their faith through mentoring, discipleship, whatever word you want to use, you're not being a faithful disciple of Jesus. And so I don't say that to be harsh. I just say that to be real. So we all need to move forward in that direction if we are not already. And we are continuing in our not optional series. And we're dealing with the topic of murder and murder not being optional. So if you look at your outline here, God's command not to murder is rooted in his value for his creation specifically, but not limited to his image bearers, man, his image bearers. And so God cares about all of creation. God created everything, did he not? He created it all. Everything from nothing. He created the trees, right? He created the animals. He created the birds and the fish, and he created everything, right? So he cares about it all, but I need you to know that you are his prize of creation, the crown of his creation, as some writers have said, we as his image bearers, because other things do not bear the image of God. God didn't say, let's make dogs in our image and likeness. Are you here? God didn't say, let's make gorillas in our image and likeness. God did not say, let's make cats in our image and likeness. God did not say, let's make dinosaurs in our image and likeness. God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let us give authority and dominion to man as my representatives of my kingdom in this earth. Let's do that with man. And so we are important to God. We are his image Bearers, and that is why this command not to murder is rooted in that, in us being image bearers. So I want you to look at a couple of statistics here that I looked up in preparation for this. Uh, the first one is this. There were a total of 17,250 reported murder or non-negligent manslaughter cases in the U.S. in 2016. How many would say that's a lot? That's a lot, right? 17,000 people plus were murdered, right? They were killed. And, and, and th those are the cases that were brought forth. And now, although the number of cases has declined in the past 20 years, when viewed in, in, in international comparison, the U.S. murder rate is still high. In 2012, Germany's murder rate stood at 0.8 compared to 4.7 in the United States. That's a big discrepancy, right? It's not like a little, it, it's, it's because there's an issue within the United States of America with regards to the value of life, right? There's a problem, and, 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 and that's the reason why it is that way. And so I read the letter to you last week of the teacher from South Florida who she communicated some things where we don't have this value of life because we don't understand the permanency of death because of all of the fake culture cultural that, that, that we're in, that we see within media, within video games, within movies. It's hard to explain. You know, I remember being a kid and 
My mom can attest to this. I loved, you know, I don't watch it so much now, but I used to love wrestling. Like, I mean, I was like a wrestling fanatic. I love watching wrestling. And, man, I, 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 no matter how much my mom or anybody told me that that was fake and that you can't do that to people, for some reason I thought that I could body slam my brothers. For some reason, I thought I could pile drive them. For some reason, I thought I could do all of these things. And no, it, it, but, but it was because there was a disconnect in my brain that, that, that I couldn't connect. Like now I understand this is fake. My daughter, the reason why I don't watch this uh, anymore so much is because my daughter, as, as, as a little girl, uh, I used to watch it with her. And then she would go to my mother-in-law's house wrestling with her and, and hurting her. And so they were like, you need to do something. So I'm like, well, the only thing I can do is stop watching it because she couldn't disconnect that. And it's the same thing that we have now that we see in our culture. But let me give you the next statistic, right? 17,250, that's a lot of murders, amen? I want you to look at this next one. In 2014, 652,639 legal, inducted, induced abortions were reported to the CDC by 49 reporting areas. You see the difference in those two numbers? You see one is 17,000, the other one is 600 and something thousand. Let's keep reading. The abortion rate for 2014 was 12.1 abortions per 1,000 women aged 15 to 44 years. And the abortion ratio was 186 abortions per 1,000 live births. The percentage of abortions reported as early medical abortions increased 110% from 2005 to 2014. Do you hear that? This is because we don't value life the way God says. And so we wonder why we have 17,000 murders and then we have 600 and some. That, that's the, that, this is where the root is because we don't value life the way that God does. And we don't want to talk about this. And let me just say this because I may get on a rant in a moment about abortion, but, but I want you to understand murder is murder. Are you here? And I don't want to come across, because there may be women in here that you have had abortions. I don't know every woman's story, but I know statistically there are women that are sitting in here. You've had abortion. Something like that has happened to you. And I do not want you to sit in here and feel condemned because of that. I want you to hear me say this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is extended toward you in grace and in love. God doesn't want you to walk in condemnation. God wants you to accept his forgiveness and know that he wants to restore you. But he does not excuse the behavior. He doesn't excuse the action. Just because God is merciful doesn't mean that that is okay. It saddens me to hear, because I have conversations with plenty of people, it saddens me to hear how young women have gone into places, gotten pregnancy tests, and the counsel they get from the moment that they walk into that place is not, hey, here are your options. It is, this is the only option. That is what is jammed down women's throats in our culture, in our days. And so we have to be a people that rise up and say, wait a second, the Bible teaches something about life and its value. I love the song that we sang, that last song that we sing, I was worth saving. Were you not? You came and saved my life, right? You thought I was worth keeping, so you came and you cleaned me up inside. You thought I was to die for, right? Like this is God declaring what to us. On the cross, he is showing every one of you has inherent value because I put my image on you. 
Because I have placed my image in you. And so we as a church, what what does this mean? The church, last paragraph there, the church must be the light of God's perspective on the value of life. We must be the salt in our efforts demonstrating our commitment to the sanctity of human life and in our stand against murder and neglect of life on all levels. Did you hear that? We must stand firm against murder on all levels, 17,600 and and something thousand, all of that. We stand firm against that. None of that is okay. When we look at the atrocities that that, that we just saw, I mean, right now, thinking about this sermon, I mean, what would happen in South Florida, you guys have heard the media buzz and everybody, I mean, every time there is a shooting, we begin to have these debates and these arguments about gun laws and gun control and all this and that and third. And I wonder, I wonder how much of it is, how much of it is really rooted in a care for life on both sides of the table on on both on the ones that want to get rid of all the guns and the ones that want to keep them how much of this really is about life how much of it is really is that really the core issue or the core concern don't be deluded and deceived to think that everybody that's on your side because I don't know which side you're on that everybody's on your side they really care about life and the people on the other side they really don't here's the bottom line we should all care about life We should all care about life. It should concern us because what? We're called to be the light. We should care about all of life. All of life is sacred unto God because he created it that way. And so here's the big idea that I have for you this morning. God's prohibition of murder shows God to be a protector of life. We must be the same. Let me say that again. God's prohibition of murder shows God to be a protector of life. We must be the same. God is not just pro-life, he's a protector of life. He is a protector of all life. He cares about all life. Therefore, we should do the same. We should be concerned and care about all of life. The first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must understand why murder is not optional. We must understand why murder is not optional. And so what we see here in this command in verse 13, we see the the sixth command is what? It is you shall not murder, period. You shall not murder. It doesn't say you shall not kill. There's a specific word that was utilized here. There's like seven different words that talk about killing and things like that in the Old Testament. But the word that is used here is only used 47 times. And, he, and, and the writer is inspired by God to use that word to indicate he's not just talking about killing. Why is that? Because God authorizes killing. I know people don't want to hear that, right? Because how can you be, and I'll use this term loosely, how can you be pro-life but then be okay with like the death penalty or something like that? Right? Like that's a tension, right? That people want to throw in your face. How can you be okay with capital punishment, but yet you're, you know, this or that or that? Okay, well, here's, here, here's the bottom line. I, I don't care about your opinion or my opinion. I care about God's opinion. God's opinion is the one that matters. Is that, uh, is that not accurate? I mean, for us as Christians, right, we care about God's opinion. What does God have to say? And so God says, thou shalt not murder, talking about taking life, talking about taking life in an unjustifiable way when he's dealing with the topic of murder. Not saying you, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not murder. We shouldn't take life. We, we don't take life. We don't, we don't do that. There are some things that happen in the Bible. So Genesis chapter 4, verse 9, if you're writing notes down, we know the story. God creates all things good. He sees that man is alone. Man should not be alone. That's not a good thing. He creates a woman from his rib, brings this woman onto the scene. The woman is on the scene. She's deceived by the serpent. The serpent, after she's deceived by the serpent, she eats of the fruit. Her husband listens to her, eats of the fruit. Sin enters the world. They're kicked out of the garden. Then, then we come to Genesis. 
Genesis chapter 4. And we come to Genesis chapter 4, there are two children that are there. They are known by the names of Cain and Abel. And in this story, Cain and Abel decide to do what? Offer God an offering. And when they bring a sacrifice to God, one of them brings God the first of the animals. The other one brings him stuff from the ground. And what does the scripture say? The scripture says God had respect for Abel's offering, but he had no respect for Cain's offering. And what happened? Instead of Cain repenting and humbling himself and turning around and saying, man, my offering, there's something wrong because God is a just and good God. Instead of that, what does he do? He gets angry. He gets jealous. He gets upset. And he says, yo, bro, let's go on a picnic. So you know what? God's not going to accept my sacrifice. I'm going to remove my competition. Hello. I'm going to remove that out of the way. And what does he do? He goes and he takes his brother out to the field, kills his brother. Then God questions him, says, hey, where is your brother? And the famous saying, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And what does God say to him? God says, do you not know that your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground? He shows us how serious murder is in the eyes of God. Understand this. Every unjust murder in this nation, that blood is crying out to God. Every unjust murder is crying. That blood, there has to be recompense for that blood. That blood is crying. Listen, it's a scary place to be at when you're talking about 17,000 murders that we would consider, everyone would consider murder, and 600,000, anyone that takes a biblical perspective would consider murder. That's a lot of blood that's crying out to God. That's a lot of blood that's crying out before the throne of God. But why does God say this is such a big deal? Well, you fast forward and you continue on. Genesis chapter 6, and you see that men began to grow on the earth. And as they begin to grow on the earth, the Bible says that every intention of their heart was wicked from their youth. And God says, I'm going to destroy these people. So one time, the first time God says he regretted or he repented of creating man. And he does that, but he finds a guy by the name of Noah who fears the Lord. And he says, you know what? I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. I'm going to use your family, and we are going to redeem. We're going to build this ark, builds the ark. God floods the earth. And when God floods the earth, obviously prior to this, we were vegetarians. Hello, somebody. I know some of you are really sad about that. But nonetheless, the vegetables at that time had different content. There was a different thing. But when they come out of the, th of the ark, God says what? Kill and eat. But don't eat the food with the blood in it. Hello, for all y'all that like rare meat, I'm sorry right? Don't eat the blood. It still applies because you look at uh, Acts chapter like 15, I think it is. It talks about eating blood. But anyway, that's another story. You can deal with that, you and Jesus. But here's the thing. The point of the matter is, he says, kill and eat. But then he talks about something else. He says, but listen, anyone, who's, anyone who kills a, a, another man, whether beast or man, they're, they're going to have to give what? They're going to have to give an account. There's going to be a recompense. That's actually the first reference that we have towards capital punishment in the Bible. And then we see in Romans chapter 13 the same thing, that the government does not bear the sword in vain. They're there to be God's ministers. They're supposed to be. Now listen, we know there's plenty of corruption, but they have a right to do what? In order to minister judgments in situations where there is injustice done to other lives. That's what is supposed to happen. What is supposed to, in a perfect world which we do not live in, the government is supposed to be God's ministers to do what? They're supposed to represent God. God in cases of judgment. They're supposed to stand for what is good and stand against what is evil. That is what our government's supposed to do. And listen, whether they're perfect or not, everyone that has ever been in a leadership position and role in our nation, every nation of the world, they will stand before the judgment seat of God because they have to give an account for what they did with the authority God gave them. 
This is just a reality. That's why we need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for the nation of the world that God will be merciful. And so why does God say this? He says this in Genesis chapter 9. He says because what? His image is on man. Why is murder not optional? If murder is not optional because we bear the image of God. When I murder someone else, you know what I'm saying? I am directly violating God's image. I am directly sinning against God Almighty. Here's the thing we got to realize is that it should be clearly understood that God values life because he gave it. He is the author of life. He is the one. He's the one who declares this. So we must value life. Can I tell you something? Murder is the result of a low view of others. Murder is a result of a low view of others. Listen, when you start to look down on people, you know, and, and this has happened throughout generations and things like that, where you start to think lower of a certain class or a certain group of people, you know what you'll do? You'll get rid of them because they don't matter. You think about the Holocaust. What was that about? It was about one group thought they were superior to another group. They felt that every other group was not like them, was not as good as them. Therefore, they had the authority to exterminate literally like they're cockroaches because that's how they view these people. Listen, y'all. That is the heart of murder. It becomes the same thing we deal with the topic of abortion. It's the same thing because we have been diluted to believe what? To believe that this fetus, this thing that is inside the womb is not real life. It's not real. That's what we believe. That's what we've been taught. That's the reason why 110% of uh, the rate has gone up 110% because of what? Because we've been lied to over and over and over again, and therefore we start to believe the lie. But wait a second. Psalm 139 tells us what? It tells us clearly that God formed us where? Oh, okay. Y'all got that. He formed us in the womb. He didn't form us the one we could breathe on our own. That isn't when he did that. He didn't form us when we could take care of ourselves. He didn't, he didn't say, okay, now you're alive. That isn't when that happened. The moment he breathed you in, the moment that you came to exist in the womb is when life begins. Well, you know what? When you have a low value, you have a low view of life, then you know what you do? You start to not value that. Murder becomes okay. See, it's not okay. Not in God's eyes. So we as a church have to rise up and stand for what is right. Just as God's law. I want you to think about this. Everything that God said, we just read Exodus chapter 20. When you read through Exodus and you read Exodus, you read Deuteronomy, you read Leviticus, God doesn't just speak one time about murder. He has lots of different laws concerning murder. He talks about murder. I mean, even to the, even to the degree of, uh, he actually talks about if a woman is pregnant, and two men get into a fight, and then they, in their fight, they actually, you know, the woman ends up miscarrying or something like that. He talks about those kinds of laws. He deals with all those things. And some people say, well, God didn't make them die, so, you know, whatever. But here's the thing. The, the point of the matter is God's standards for laws dealing with life were different than any other law system at that time. Because God made sure that the value of life was, was big within their culture. You value your brother. Everything we're looking at, all of the rest of the commandments are, again, they're those horizontal commandments, how we deal with each other. Adultery is not cool. Why? Because that's a violation of someone else's life, of someone else's marriage, right? Coveting is not cool because what? That's a violation of other people's property. God wants us to have a high view of life. And so dealing with murder, he's saying, listen, you need to have this same high view because you know what the same way that God elevated the standards in those days is the same way that we need to elevate the standard in our days the same way that we as the church need to be a voice for truth when it comes to valuing life and so I'm going to assume right now that as we're sitting here you're there and you're saying well I haven't killed anyone I didn't have an abortion maybe and so I'm not guilty of murder I'm good to go bishop let's go home 
I still have like five minutes, so we ain't going home yet. Because our worship team went over a little bit, I'll take 10 minutes, I'm just saying, you know. So, 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 so what we have to understand is that murder is more than just those two things. Murder is greater than those two things that we're thinking about or whatever it is that we consider murder. When we look at what murder really is in, in, at the heart level, here's what we have to understand. Please repeat this after me. We must recognize, we must recognize that, murder that murder is a heart issue. Murder is a heart issue. Turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5. I want us to look there because this is a very, very important passage of Scripture. We need to realize something that Jesus is, and if you're writing notes, it's important for you to grasp. Jesus is the living word, right? He's the living word. He He is the word made flesh. And so as such, he is the official commentary on the true meaning and heart of God's laws. Do you get that? And so when Jesus is talking here in this sermon, this is called the Sermon on the Mount. For those of you that know that, he goes up on this mountainside. He begins to preach this sermon, probably the longest um, sermon that is recorded in all of Jesus' preaching. And so as he goes through this, he goes through the Beatitudes. He goes through the similitudes. He goes through all of these different things showing us what God's heart is. And then he camps out here in verse 21 of chapter 5, and he begins to say this. He says, you have heard that, that, that it was said of old. You have heard. Say, you have heard. See, the first thing you should underline that you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit or you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. So I want you to notice this. He says, you have heard. Can I tell you something? Most of us have hearing issues. You may not think so, but most of us do. If we're, if we're honest, sometimes we're sitting down. Listen, I've been preaching for a while, and I've had people literally send me emails, like long emails. Like I send out whenever you're a guest here for the first time, I send out an email for you. Um, if you're a guest and you're like, I never got that email, check your spam. It's probably there if you didn't delete it. But nonetheless, I send out an email just saying, hey, you know, hope you enjoyed the service, you know, and, and that kind of stuff in the email. And I literally have had people that have emailed me back a lengthy email of what they heard me preach about. And absolutely nothing that they said I preached about did I say. It was nowhere near the topic that I was talking about. Hello. And it wasn't like they said, you know, I got, I, like, I've had people say, I got this out of your preaching. And I can get that. Like, you know, I'm sitting down there, and I'm, and I'm hearing a preacher, you know, preach, and, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit showed me something, or I'm understanding something one way. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking like a whole dissertation on what I preach and what I said. And I'm like, man, I don't know what church you were sitting in. Maybe you were, like, listening to someone else. But that was not me. Why do I say that? Because I know how it is. You sit down there in your seat, right? You're thinking about lunch. Hey, man. You're thinking about those things. See, what happens is you're really engaged. You're like fully in there. You're focused. Everything is in, right? You're like all there. And then all of a sudden, at one moment, you take a deep breath or you look to the right or to the left, and your mind, something pops into your head, and suddenly your mind starts wandering after that thought. And you're like way over here, and I talk fast. So I'm on point two, and you're back then, right? So you missed all of point one, and I'm, and I'm on point two here, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, amen. but you didn't hear anything that I said. And so we have hearing issues, and Jesus was saying to them, you have heard. See, sometimes our hearing is wrong. In this case, their hearing wasn't wrong. What they had been done, what, what had happened to them is they were hearing the teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees and the, and the rabbis of those days who were explaining what murder is. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus clarifies. He goes to verse 22. He says, but I say, in other words, this is a real interpretation. It says, I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Hello, somebody. 
And whoever says to his brother, Raka, I like, I, like, I like to say it like that, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Have, has anyone in here ever called someone a fool? Y'all are going to hell. That's what the Bible says. I'm not saying that. It says if you call them, that's what the scripture says, right? And I know you want me to say that isn't what Jesus meant, right? You're waiting for that. You're waiting for that moment, but I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to tell you that, right? What, what I'm going to say is look at the, that's, that's depressing, is it not? Like if I, call, if I call someone these words, right? So, so what do we understand from this here? And, and I, and I, I want to look at verse 23 to 26, but I just, just want to just put this as a paraphrase. Because what Jesus does is he gives us in these first two verses, he shows us the seriousness of the heart behind murder and what murder really is. He shows us what murder of the heart is. And then he says, therefore, say therefore. He says, therefore, so he gives them the heart of what murder is, and then he gives them some practical application points to how they deal with a murderous heart, right? And in those days, they brought a gift to the altar. They came with their gift, and what he says is, listen, if you bring your gift to the, to the altar, which we don't do today, if you bring that there and realize someone has something against you, leave the gift there, go fix things with them, come back and offer it. He says, and then, you know, if you have an issue with someone, you need to rectify this, lest he gives you over to the judge and then to the guard, and then you're sent into prison and then you pay repay. That's everything that he says there. What is he talking about? He is not talking about hell there. He's giving them a practical application on how to deal with their sin in relationships. And so for us, let me give you the application. It is this. We all are supposed to worship God, are we not? And in that we're supposed to worship God, here's what you have to do. Don't be a hypocrite with your worship. Don't be coming to sing like, God, I love you with all my heart and yet I hate my brother. God, I love you with all my heart, and yet I'm angry with my sister. I'm angry with my cousin. I'm angry with my coworker. And an unjust, I can't, listen, I can't even worship you without thinking about them. Come on now. Don't be hypocritical with your worship. So what does he say? Let's talk about this anger stuff for a moment. So, so what we realize is this, is that murder is rooted in unrighteous anger. Did you hear that? Murder is rooted in unrighteous anger. And this is why hearing the word of God is so important. Because if your application of God's word is only as good as your understanding of God's word. Do you get that? That's why Jesus said, you have heard, but I say. In other words, you've heard this, but now listen to what I'm saying. Pay attention to what I'm communicating. And what does he say? He talks about anger, right? Or he, he talks about this anger with no reason. And in, in, in the New King James Version, it says without reason. In your, in your version, it may not say without reason. The bottom line is when the writers were translating, they're writing this here in the New King James to give you the heart. And what is the heart? The heart is it's anger without justification. It's anger without reason. And so, what is, and so here's the thing. It's anger because I want you to get this now. Anger is not inherently evil. Are you here? If anger, see, because us as Christians, like, oh, man, I got to stop being angry. No, you need to stop being angry for the wrong reasons. And you need to stop acting out in anger sinfully. See, because when you look at the Bible, the book of Ephesians chapter 5 tells us what? It says to be angry. Didn't say don't be angry, but sin not. Be angry, but sin not. Therefore, I can be angry and not sin, can I? We can. Most of the time we don't, but the reality is we can do that. And so what is murder? Murder of the heart, right? We're talking about murder the way that Jesus depicts it. It's rooted in unrighteous anger. It's rooted in unrighteous anger. Martin Luther, who's the great reformer, he understood what righteous anger was. Listen to this. Pay attention. It is anger and anger of love, one that wishes no one any evil, one that is friendly to the person but hostile to the sin. Did you get that? 
This is what righteous anger is. It is an anger of love, one that wishes no one any evil, one that is friendly to the person that is but hostile to the sin. And so here's the deal. When we are angry in a righteous way, listen, we're going to be angry, man, but I'm not wishing you evil. I'm wishing you repentance. Are you here? I'm not wishing you harm. I don't, have, I don't have this anger, this hatred that is towards you. I'm wishing you well. And so when Jesus is talking about unrighteous anger, he's talking about anger that is rooted in pride and vanity and hatred and malice and revenge. And then what does Jesus do? He says, if you call people names, hello, somebody. Right? If you call people names, he has that first word, raka or raka, whatever, however you want to pronounce that. And so that first word, what does that word raka mean? It means empty-headed. How about idiot? How about my favorite word when I'm driving and I'm, because and I, and I, and I, and, I'm not going to curse, but I just want to get it out. How about ignoramus? <laughs> Go look it up. It's a real word. It, it makes you feel good. You ignoramus. Like what is it? Like, like it, it just feels, like you felt like you feel liberated, right? Like just say, just say it. Say it with me. Ignoramus, right? You feel good, right? Like, man, I feel liberated. It's a liberating word, right? Nonetheless, right? Right, so I don't know that person driving, but, but anyway, it's dealing with their head, empty-headed, right? I taught my daughter that one day. I was showing her how to have, like, righteous road rage. I don't know if that's, that's possible, right? I'm just making that up. But nonetheless, we're driving down the road, and someone did something stupid, and I was like, you are an ignoramus. And she was like, what? What, what did you say? And I said, ignoramus. She's like, I love that word. I'm using that. I'm like, hey, man, I'm, I don't know. I know I'm teaching her good things, but nonetheless, it is, it's taught. But the fact is, right, calling them these types of names. And so you look at that word. What does that deal with? That deals with head issues, right? Head issues. Empty-headed. The next word here is the word fool. Or, and, and that word would mean the word rebel. The difference between these two words is difficult to have because they sound about the same. But the first one is dealing with head issues. The second one is dealing with heart issues, character issues. So you're not just dealing with somebody's actions. You're dealing with their character. You're, you're talking about them. And so now what is he saying? But, but, you, but what did Jesus just say? He said, the first one, you're in danger of judgment. In other words, you're in danger of being called a murderer. But the second one, when, you, when your anger leads you to attack character and things like that, you know what it does? It puts you in danger of hell. Let that sink in for a moment. These are Jesus' words. They're not my words. He's calling them to an account and saying, man, you can't live like that. See, we must ask ourselves some questions. Let me help you to understand what kind of anger you have. Listen to this. The first question you need to ask is, why am I angry with this person? That's the first question. Why am I angry with this person? Am I angry with this person because of me, because they offended me, because of what they did to me? Is it all about me? Or am I angered with this person because they are violating Scripture? Am I angry with this person because their actions are an offense toward God? Doesn't mean it doesn't offend you, but the reality is, here's the question. Why am I angry? What is the root of my anger? The second thing is, how am I expressing my anger toward this person? See, when I talk about this person, how do I talk about them? When I have conversation about this person, how do I communicate about them? Like, really, what are my words saying about I mean, this is the way that Jesus says to look at it. So we're looking at how do I communicate those types of things? And the third one, which is my favorite, what are your wishes for that person? See, we love this scripture. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We love that scripture, right? Because it gives us a freedom. Like, you know what, Lord? You said vengeance is yours. Listen, you should not be praying God's vengeance on your worst enemy. Do you understand? Look, everybody, everybody should be offered forgiveness, right? Like, in the, in the eternal sense. But some of us are like, no, they need to go to hell. 
right? Like that's some of our hearts. Like that is the wrath of God. And so the reality is vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Is that what you pray for this? I mean, how do you feel about this person? Listen, if we'll answer these questions honestly, you know what this does? This helps us to understand our heart issue. Am I a murderer at heart? So let me just do a poll real quick. How many of you would say you're a murderer at heart? That's most of us. The rest of you are lying about other things too. We're going to deal with lying in a couple of weeks also. So we got, I, got you. I got you covered. Don't worry about it. But the reality is we are murderers at heart. We allow our anger to get the best of us. We allow. And so here is a scary place to be. And so the third thing, repeat this after me. Say, we must allow, we must allow the, gospel the gospel to deliver us deliver from murderous hearts. We must allow the gospel to deliver us from murderous hearts. Turn with me really quickly to 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, because I want you to see what the Bible has to say here regarding this topic and how we deal with it. It says in this, and it'll be up on the screen. It says this, it says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil. Speaking of Cain, Cain's works were evil and his brother's righteous. So rather than repent, what did he do? He killed his brother. Verse 13, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Look at verse 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, who is the apostle John writing to? He's writing to the church. He's saying, check yourself. Do you hate your brother? If you hate him, then you're a murderer. And if you're a murderer, you don't have eternal life. That's heavy. But he's talking to them because he wants them to repent. He wants them to acknowledge, wait a second, am I a murderer? Listen, most of you just confess you are. And so look, the reality is, how do we address that? Listen, don't walk around dealing with murder in your heart on your own, trying to deal with it your way, deal with it God's way. Admit that it's there. Call upon him because the beauty and the comfort that we get is in the next verse. He says what? He says, by this we know love. I love that. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. By this, because of what Jesus did, we know love. See, can I tell you something? When we look at this, when, 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 we're, when we're honest like we were and we recognize that we're all murderers, you, 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 know, you know what has to happen? What has to happen is we have to come to the place that we understand our sins against the holy God. We have to understand the gospel in its totality for us to be able to be liberated from a murderous heart. We have to understand, man, that we violate God's laws in our thoughts. We violate God's word in our words. We violate God's word in our actions. We are so worthy of death, and yet God is so merciful. 
Even when we try to be righteous on our own, that's an offense to God because we're not trusting in his righteousness. Are you here? And so when we grasp that, then we can move to the next step to understand that you are the biggest sinner in the room, that you are the biggest sinner in the relationship, that you are the biggest sinner in the situation, which allows you to do what? It allows you to forgive and release those who have sinned against you. See, we don't want to hear that. But see, when I'm in my marriage, I have to realize something. My wife is not the biggest sinner in the room. I may feel like she is. That doesn't mean she is. There may be moments that she's more guilty than I am in a situation, but I cannot control her actions. I can only control mine. I can't make her repent. I can only repent of my actions. And in our relationship, if I continue to see her as the greater sinner than I, you know what I do? I'm never going to forgive her. I'll write her off. In relationships, not just in marriage, in relationships in general, who is the greatest sinner? Listen, I am because you know what? I'm the only one that knows my heart. Hello. I'm the only one that can control what I do. And so if I want to walk in freedom, how many of you want to walk in freedom? How many of you don't want to walk around in a bondage to, to murder and, and hatred and anger? You don't want to walk around with that. Then you have to grasp what the gospel communicates. The gospel, when we allow the gospel to be the reason why we're able to relate and forgive one another, then we're able to what? Experience real freedom. See, here's the thing. Our satisfaction in these tough relationships, because obviously this is dealing with tough relationships, but our satisfaction isn't in the consequences that the other person is going to experience. It's not that. Our satisfaction is in what? It's in our ability to follow Jesus. It's in our ability to forgive even when we never get the chance to have an apology told to us. Hello. Can I tell you something? There are some relationships, and I'm just being really honest because I have some of these myself. There are some relationships you will never have an opportunity to reconcile. Never. The person, the people, whatever, they're never going to sit down with you and have a conversation. I don't know if that's everybody's situation. I know there's some of those in my life. And the reality is I have a choice. I can wait for the reconciliation moment to go on ahead and move forward. Or I can say, you know what, I'm not waiting for that. I forgive now. I release now. I'm not going to hold on to anything. I'm not going to allow the enemy to keep me because you know what the whole thing is? Is that those people that we're thinking about, half the time they forgot about everything that we're thinking about. Are you here? They, they done moved on. They're not even, they're, they're, they're living their life and you're over here still mad, angry, bitter, upset, frustrated, and you're just like, man, over, and, you can, and they're just living their life. They're not thinking about you. You think they're thinking about you. They're not. Hello. It's all in your head and in your heart. And so you know what you and I have to do? We have to say, here, you know what, God? I'm not going to be a murderer anymore. I'm going to accept the gospel. I'm going to accept the truth of the gospel that you laid down your life, that you laid down your life for me. And by this, I know love. Can I tell you something? The key to being liberated from a murderous heart is knowing the love of God. And the only way we know the love of God is through the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the only way that we know the love of God because we understand, man, how filthy, how foul, and how irreconcilable we were. And yet, while we were sinners, he died for us. See, that's beautiful. He died for us. We've rejected him over and over and over, and yet he's there with open arms calling us to him to repent. And so my closing question is this. Have you allowed the gospel to free you from your murderous heart and make you a protector of life? Have you allowed the gospel to free you from a murderous heart? If you haven't, today's that day. Today is that day. Today's the day that you can say, God, I don't want to be a murderer anymore. I don't want to walk in this bitterness anymore. I don't want to walk in this unforgiveness. Anymore. I don't want to walk in this place. I don't, I don't want to be that. I want to be a person who's free, and I want to be a protector of life, all of life. 
I want to be a protector of life in relationship. I want to be a protector of life in every area of my culture. I want to be that, but only the gospel can do that. So I'll stand up, feet. Let's pray together. Great God, we come before you today. We come to you first and foremost thanking you for the grace that you show us in your son. Thanking you for the grace that you show us. Thanking you for the grace that you extend us. And today, Lord, we lay our hearts bare before you. God, you know our hearts. You've searched them well. And so I pray that you would show us clearly the areas where we have sinned against you, the areas where we have dishonored you, the areas where we are murderous. God, show us and set us free in the name of Jesus. Heal the brokenness. Heal the wounds. Today, let the power of the Spirit, let the power of the gospel be manifested in our lives. And from this moment forward, may we no longer walk under the dominion of sin in this area, but God, may we be freed in the name of Jesus. May we walk, Lord God, with a mind that is aligned to yours. May we value life the way that you want us to value it. And may that be worked out practically in our relationships with one another, Lord God. May we be those who obey your word and lay down our lives one for the other. Today, God, I pray for those in this place that may have relationships that are broken, that are hurting. Lord God, areas in their lives where they are struggling, Lord God. I just pray that today that they would experience the power of your grace to release, the power of your grace to be freed from that pain, Lord God, to be freed from that hurt, Lord, in the name that is above all names. Today, let today be that day. May you manifest your love in our hearts as we have never thought possible. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.